welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Amen, amen. In this sector of our series on barrier breakers, the barrier breaker that we'll be talking about today is God's love. God's love as a barrier breaker. How many of you know God's love as a barrier breaker? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let's get it. Father, what an awesome privilege it is uh, to be in you, Lord God. And I pray that our hearts and our minds will find itself in you. Lord God, help our identity, um, everything in our lives to be rooted and grounded in you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree that's it? Amen, amen. God's love. Um, how many of you know anybody that's insecure? You ever met somebody just, just insecure? Um, you know, uh, insecurity is... Uh, is, is, is a great hardship of the life. Um, but how many of you know you got insecurities? Oh, only, only three of y'all said something. How many of you know that every last one of y'all and us, under the sound of my voice, have insecurities? Yeah, 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 yeah. One, one of the hardest things to fight in the world is insecurity. Everybody has insecurity. Whether you like it or not, every last one of us have insecurity. Even if by the world standards you find, you still got insecurity. Somebody said something like they know they fine. I'm like, okay. Uh, I'm like, all right, all right, all right. Praise God. You got notoriety in the world, and 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 and, and, and still you have insecurity. You can have what's what's strange about insecurity is you can have a lot and still feel like you have nothing. Uh, um, and, 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 and every one of us, no matter what side of the railroad track you were born on, deal with this idea of insecurity. But, but fundamentally, the question is, what is insecurity? Fundamentally. Fundamentally, insecurity can be defined as not feeling safe. Just not, not feeling safe. That, that, that's the fundamental uh, uh, deal with insecurity. But, but the question is, what causes insecurity? Uh, one psychological side, insecure feelings arise when an individual is not sure or confident about an issue that is personally important to him. Insecurity can also be expressed as a feeling shaky or, or feeling shaky or uncertain. Being insecure implies not feeling entirely stable or at ease in a particular situation. Now, we, now, we've defined uh, um, insecurity as not feeling safe, but, 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 but this sermon isn't just about general insecurity. It is about spiritual insecurity. Uh, what, what, what is spiritual insecurity? <clears throat> spiritual insecurity means to not feel safe in your relationship with God. Uh-oh. Now, now that, that, that seems strange that, you know, the old song said, the safest place in the whole wide world is in the, am, am I in church today? <laughs> the, the first service was more, 
I'm, I'm just making sure y'all hear all that singing went on. The atmosphere was developed for you. The garment of praise was developed. Where y'all jokers at? Amen. Amen. And not feeling safe in your relationship with God. It means anxiety around God's care for your life's wants, needs, and desires. Meaning you can be insecure not just about feeling God doesn't care, uh, but, but not thinking that God is doing what you want, when you want, and how you want him to do it. And what can happen is you can get frustrated with God and not feel necessarily safe with God because when it comes to your wants, he won't give them to you, particularly when he takes a long time. And, 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 and what, what do we tend to do when we feel insecure and God don't give us our wants and our desires and our timing? We tend to manufacture a substandard of what God won't provide in order to help our feelings and desires be tethered until we feel like God give us what we want. But we don't realize that when we try to get stuff on our own earlier than God wants us to have it, usually it's not what God wants us to have, and we're not a good chooser of the rubric of what we're trying to get to take care of our wants and desires. And then what begins to happen is we assume that God doesn't want us to enjoy anything. And so that's where the insecurity and anxiety comes in at is, is, is God, you don't really want me to enjoy nothing. You, 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 you a party pooper. Now, we, don't, we, we know enough theologically to not say that. But in our hearts, you know, we, we have some arguments that if we're honest, we would say some wild stuff to God. We would say stuff, God, you don't really love me. Because we base God's love on us for what not he does for our needs, but for our greeds. And so, and so, and so, and so what's the solution? What's the solution? I, I read a psychological website. They said, this is what you should do. They say, if you want to deal with your um, insecurity, building a healthy level of self-esteem is necessary a component of combating anxiety and insecurity. Rising... Your self-esteem is a goal that has positive implications in many areas of your life. Here are a few, and this is how you accomplish it. Small, setting goals, setting small goals that you can accomplish every day. Number one, try journaling of your accomplishments. Keep a journal of them. Every time someone pays you a compliment, write it down, what they've said. And when you don't feel good about yourself, read them to yourself. Now, let me tell you something. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let, me, let me just tell y'all something, how this works. Can I finish my introduction? You, you feel me? Listen, listen. Y'all know this. You can get a thousand compliments, but you can get one negative communication and criticism, and it will X out every all thousand of those compliments. And so listen, you can, you can invest in somebody's love language all you want. I'm words of encouragement. I'm time. I'm quality time. I'm, 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 I'm touch. I'm acts of service. And I'm all of that. But listen, let me tell you something. Nobody on earth can do enough for you, for you to be satisfied in and of what they do for you in order to bring you out of your insecurity. My Bible teaches that there's only one thing that can bring you out of your insecurity. It's not the words of encouragement of people. It's good to be encouraged. It's not the quality time that somebody gives you. Even though quality time is good, the only thing in the universe that can satisfy your insecurity is the love of God. 
Oh, I wish I have some help right there. Why? Why? Because there are limitations in how everybody has a love threshold. If you do enough dirt to me, there's a limit to this. And there should be a reality that, you know, on some level, you know, abuse and everything. I'm not, I'm not telling somebody to stay in an abusive relationship. But what's interesting about God is God is, is, is like this. You know, you ever had a, 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 a you know, you know your, your house is a mess. It's a mess. And somebody knocks on the door. You're like, who is that right now? And what you usually do is when they knock on the door, you, you, you go to the door and you, you look out and you close the door behind you. Why? And the reason why you close the door behind you is you don't want them to see your mess. But, but if, if somebody knock at the door and you open the door and it's somebody that love you, you'll let them in. You say, it's just you. <laughs> why? Because when they come in, they won't judge your mess. Not only will they not judge your mess, they may even help you clean up your mess. That's what the living God is like. In your life, is anywhere in your life where there's a mess. You don't have to keep the doors closed on your mess. The beauty of God is you can be secure in the fact that he won't judge your mess, but he'll help you work through your mess. That's how big the love of God is, is you don't have to, you can show him anything. And you don't have to worry about what he thinks about you. Why? Because he has vision for where you're not to take you there when you let him in. But the issue is you have to let him in every single area of your life so that you can experience the love of God in your life. Wherever you don't feel love in your life, it's because God ain't in it. And so we come to the text from the Gospel Globetrotter himself, Paul Paul is helping us to understand and recognize um, the beauty of our identity in Christ. Ephesians is the book of identity. And in talking about our identity in Christ, he's letting the Ephesians know who they are. So in chapter 1, instead of starting with who they are, he starts with who God is. Because you can't know who you are until you know who God is. People say you got to love yourself first in order for you to love somebody else. No, you got to know the love of God first. Because you don't, if you don't have God's love, you won't be able to love yourself because you love yourself based on human love. But you need God's love to understand what love actually looks like. So in chapter 1, it starts with God. And it starts with him. He says, the Father chooses, the Son saves, and the Spirit seals. Then it goes on to chapter 2 and talk about the fact that all of us were dead in our trespasses and sins. Tore up from the floor up. But then it says... For by grace are you saved through faith, not that of works. It is a gift of God that no one should boast. And then it says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works beforehand that we should walk in him. Then chapter 3, he talks about the mystery of the church being concealed but then being revealed. And in chapter 4, he talks about the function of the church and how we act in relation to bodily community with one another. Then in chapter 5, he talks about our behavior as individual believers in walking in our identity in Christ. But then in chapter 6, it tells us how to do spiritual warfare. In other words, chapter 1 through 3 uh, was orthodoxy, and cha uh, chapter 4 through 6 was orthopraxy. Chapter 1 through 3 was doctrine, but chapter 4 through 6 is duty. Chapter 1 through 3 tells you what to do, um, but, uh, or, or what to think, but chapter 4 through 6 tells you what to do. In other words, chapter 1 through 3 tells you what you should know, and then chapter 4 through 6 tells you how you practice it. And so as we dig in here, we dig into uh, really the bridge between the chapters. 
And this bridge between the chapters is a prayer. It's interesting that Paul is giving a prayer that helps us deal with insecurity. Have you ever, have you ever prayed for someone's insecurity to be remedied? His whole prayer is built on insecurity being remedied by God's love. Now look at what it says. It says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now before we get into this, I just want to let you know, all of this is one sentence. Like my English folk, y'all going to lose your mind, my professors, y'all going to lose your mind. Literally, this is one run-on sentence of compounded phrases where Paul uses nothing to break the thought up, but he wants it all to be one thought with sub-thoughts connected to a big thought about God. And so what he says is, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. He's letting you know his disposition and posture. He's basically letting you know I'm finna pray. But then on the latter part of it, he says, he begins saying some stuff, and this is what's interesting about the Bible. You have to be careful of thinking that stuff is said for nothing. Everything that's said in Scripture has a reason. Now, now, now look at what Paul says. It says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, if Paul is going to talk about insecurity, why in the world would he talk about heavenly families and earthly families? This is interesting. He says that God named all of these families. So that means all of the principalities and powers that are in heaven proper uh, were named and given designated. The cherubim was given designation. The cherubim was, uh, the seraphim was given designation. The four living creatures, the elders, the angels, all of them were given a, 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 a family divisions based on their eternal DNA and put them in different sectors. But he said not only did he do that in heaven, he did that on earth. That means that God has placed everybody into different aspects of the human family, not just, not, not just uh, nationally, not, 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 just, not just tribally, but also locally in your particular family. Why is he saying that? In the context of love and insecurity. He's saying that on purpose to let you know that God put you in your family on purpose. Oh, okay, y'all looking at me funny. Um, 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 God, listen, I know you don't like your family. Some of y'all have purpose. Purpose, no. God, listen. Listen, listen. Listen, if you were born into a single-parent home, you are assigned to it. Listen to me. It's a reason. If you were raised by your grandmama, there's a reason. If you were raised in an orphanage, there's a reason. Listen to me. Listen to me. It's very important. If you were born in a two-parent home and you thought it was going to be better because it was a two-parent home and it was messed up, if you grew up in a wild household, which most of us did, that's what I love about the Bible. It tells the truth about family. The Bible starts off with dysfunctional family. Most of the Old Testament is dysfunctional families. But guess what we learned? God put us in every family division that we're in so that we will learn his love. There's some stuff about how you was raised that you don't look back on and appreciate no matter how bad or good it was until God later gives you perspective about it. 
Oh, only the only people that live for a little while and got a teeny bit of counseling and some worshiping can really understand what I'm saying. That listen, because because some of us are still reeling from our past, but God assigns you a place to grow up and to develop where you have experiences where He's developing your story and building up an account of love in your life. I ain't talking as one that grew up in the Huxtable household and you feel me? You know, I ain't grow up with, you know, you know, you know, with everything, having everything. And, my, my, you know, my parents came every eight every day at five o'clock and, you know, and dinner was served. And my mom had on an apron and she she waddled into the dining room and brought a nicely cooked meal down every day. No, I grew up in a house where my mom worked for the government, got up early in the morning and went late. She got up early and ironed my clothes and made my lunch when I was little. My dad was a numbers runner. See, y'all don't need, some of y'all don't even know what a numbers runner is. Y'all, 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 that's old school type stuff. Y'all don't, you, y'all don't know, y'all, what is that? What is that? You know, he, he, was, he was a block hugger in some ways. I, y'all understand that today. Um, but but, but, but my, my, dad, my dad was also a World War II vet, a Korean War vet. And, and he got 100% disability before segregation ended. That, now, see, none of y'all don't understand that. For a black man to get 100% disability... Before segregation ended, mean white folk knew he really, really, really had issues. You understand? That, that, I mean, he had to have issues. That's the house of trauma I grew up in. And I can remember the beatings and some of the uh, verbal abuse and all of the different things and the alcoholism and all of the things I grew up in. And you would think... That, I, that, that, that over the years I would have walked in resentment and growing up in that house and there was things that happened that I was frustrated with. God, why did you allow me to be born in this household? Why did you allow me to be born in this different household? Why did you allow me? And God allowed it to go on and as I grew up, I began to see what God had used and allowed in a fallen world to shape me as a father, to shape me as a husband, to shape me as a son, but also to see See what I could have become and what he kept me from. And about seven years ago on my dad's deathbed, you know, my dad, um, my dad, you know, I don't care what kind of person. He, he had gotten saved and different things. But I don't care who you are. Your deathbed, you talk different. <laughs> you, you can act all big and bad. But when you got to meet King Elohim in a few minutes, you know, you, you, you can't talk your way out of that one. And my dad began spilling his guts about regrets. And he couldn't really talk because the stroke had hit him so hard. But he was trying to ask for forgiveness for things and deal with things and talk about things that had affected him from World War II, from being a Buffalo soldier and an infantryman. And, 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 and I began to stop my dad. And I knew, I, 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 knew I, I told him he was forgiven. And tears was rolling down his face. And we just started singing. Something about the name Jesus. It is the sweetest name. I know tears start rolling. He lifted his, he could barely lift his hand, but he began lifting his hand and he began worshiping. And you could tell 
that in that moment that God had let him experience his love in that moment of brokenness, in that moment of frustration, in his resentment of his dad who left when he was six years old and he had to work and be uncovered and be police beaten uh, to a pope. And he began to realize that God loved him in spite of all that he went through. I don't know what your family upbringing and challenge was in your life, but I'm telling you that God is up to something and Paul says listen he's named your family he named you he assigned you where you are and in him assigning you where you are he's loving you where you are next point you're going to experience God's love second point I think I gave the first point did I get the first point I did the first point be assured in who you are and who and where God has placed you Next point. Next point. Be stabilized, yes, by God's love. <laughs> this, this is rich right here. It's super rich. Again, remember, it's a comma, not a period. Paul is still saying this. He said, I pray that he may grant you according to his riches and glory. Let's stop there. Now, he's praying for God to give them something according to God's riches. Now, see, you, 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 if you'd have understood that, you would have ran through the aisle right there. There's a reason for that. Now, because when somebody tells you they're going to give you something, your excitement is based on the financial capacity of the giver. All right, let me make it real plain. There's, there's some people, let's say, Let's go to lunch. It's on me. You know you may go to, you feel me, Delessandro's. You know, you may be just going, you may be going to Max's. You may be going to Chili's, you know. You know, TGI. You know that's where you may be going. But then there's some people, you know, they, 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 they got it like that. You know what I'm saying? And you know when they ask you out, you, 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 you going, you going somewhere. You, 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 you going to Chima's, Fogo de Child, Desai. You, you going to Park and you, you know, you know what I'm saying? You going to Devon's and you going to Davio's and you know when you go with them, they don't give you a budget. They don't say now, I'll, uh, um, they, they're not stuttering. They say order. They do like T.I., they say, get whatever you like. <laughs> you understand? And so, and so, and so, and so, and so, when you look at that because you, you're excited because you know that who you're going with doesn't have a menu limit. When it says that I pray that God may grant you according to his riches, whatever he's going to give you according to his riches, there's no menu limit. In other words, when God does it, he doesn't ask how much it costs. Because God doesn't need to see the tag on what you need to decide whether or not he can afford it. Because there's nothing on this planet that God has resource to give you that he doesn't already own. Let me explain something to you. God doesn't buy anything. Only you. Even though he still owns you. God owns everything. Really, everything is God's storehouse. That's who you serve. 
So how can you be secure? Being known and stabilized by the one who has it all. He said, I pray that he may grant you, listen, according to his riches and glory. This is what he wants to, he wants you to get this. Everything after this is what he wants you to be wealthy in. Everything he's about to say, he wants you to be strengthened with power in your inner being through the spirit. He wants you to be empowered by his strength in your inner being. In other words, he wants you to get thick skin. He wants stuff that bothered you to bother you less. Oh, I wish I had a church in here today. You know, some of us are easily triggered. <sighs> because when you're easily, being easily triggered means there's stuff in your life you ain't got over. Because God's love gives you the freedom to get over stuff. And when stuff isn't resolved to be settled into God, even though people ain't changed. Because, because when you're, it takes a lot to be offended by somebody and not allow it to affect you like Ground Zero did. God's love is so powerful that he can heal you even if a situation ain't healed. Even though they didn't say, can you forgive me? He can keep you in your mind from being bitter with them because they ain't asked you for forgiveness yet. That, see, see, only, only, listen, I'm going to just tell you right now. Only God can do that, family. Only God can. So he said, I want you to be strengthened in your inner being so that your identity and your strengthening is based on me and not what's around you. Now look at verse 17 because this is very, very important. But, but before that, when it talks about the Spirit's role in this, the, Spirit's means, the Spirit is the means of strength, the source of God's riches, and, the product, and he produces the power. Now look at verse 17. This is dope. Because it says, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts. This is, this is, this is beautiful. He said that he may dwell in your hearts through faith. What, what does that mean? Why would he say to Christians who already have Jesus that he may dwell in your heart? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to say may he dwell <laughs> in, in, in your heart. In other words, when he's talking about uh, 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 the, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit, God, uh, dwelling in your heart, the word dwell here means to settle in. Okay, let me, let me see. <laughs> it, 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 means, it means let Jesus Christ make himself at home. Okay, now y'all not getting this. I know y'all not. Because some of y'all say make yourself at home, but you don't really mean that. Oh, okay, y'all, okay. When somebody come over your house, that you don't know like that. Make yourself at home. But technically, <laughs> you know that if they have common sense and they know social cues, they know that there are limitations on making yourself at home. That means don't just go in my refrigerator. That means, ask me where the bathroom is, don't just wander around my house. That means don't put your foot up on my table, pull your sock off, and start picking your corns. In other, in other words, when we say make yourself at home, we have limits. 
But here in the text, this is not the way we tell Jesus to make himself at home. We tell Jesus to make, because see, one, so many of us want to say, Jesus, make yourself at home in the Bible study part of me. No, make yourself at home. If you want to provide, make yourself at home. Like, Jesus, make yourself at home wherever you want in this room. But he says, no, that door that says passed on it. I want to go in there. Well, Jesus, you sure you want to go in? I mean, the past is the past, you know. <laughs> Jesus wants access to everything. And so the, the word also means to colonize. It's an interesting idea. And so don't look at this in our traumatic ways as black people who think about colonization. This is good colonization. Really, really what it means is to bring culture, to bring, to import a new culture into something. Uh, in, other, in other words, a way of operating. So when we're saying, Jesus, dwell in my heart, you're asking for him to shake things up. <laughs> you're asking to him, listen, Jesus is a great interior designer. He's a beast. And he can make your life so much a different environment. You know, my, I, I, I went on a trip this weekend, and um, I, I preached a couple of places, and um, I left my man cave a mess. I mean, when I say a mess, it was a mess. My wife, when I got to the door, she said, baby, I wasn't feeling well, but come, come, come. I want you to come and close your eyes, and I walk down the steps, and, and, and I walk, it's going to be rated G, y'all. I know y'all like, Pastor, what's about to happen? G, rated G. Leave me downstairs, and, the, and I opened my eyes, and it was totally redesigned. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, this is nice. Why? She got in there, into my mess, and she redesigned it, and it made, it, it, what was interesting about it is I couldn't believe that I was existing in that mess and how much peace I lacked in a place that was supposed to be a peaceful location wasn't as peaceful. And I, you, you, can, you can be so dysfunctional that you can get used to trying to operate in a peaceless place, not knowing that you're not getting the peace out of the place that you were supposed to. But when she cleaned it up, I said, man, I felt like I'd never experienced that place before because the transformation that she put on it was so amazing. That's what Christ wants to do in your heart. He wants to come in and totally do it. What's heart? Your values. He wants to change, give you kingdom values. He wants to give you your passions, kingdom passions. And he wants you to walk in his will. He says he wants him to dwell in heart, in your heart by faith. In other words, trusting God with what he gets rid of. In other words, when God comes in, you know, you know, I don't know if you ever had an organizer, somebody come and declutter. They'll ask you first, are you sure you want me to do this? They say, because many times when somebody's decluttering and we're holding on to a lot of stuff, we're kind of like, ah, oh, no, nah, not that. No, nah, not that. No, nah, not that. And by the time you finish, no, nah, not that, ain't no decluttering happen. And so literally you got to say, all right, I got what I need. I'm going to walk out and just let you do your thing. That's what we have to do with Jesus. Jesus wants to come in, and he wants to declutter our lives, and we have to let him. And listen, that doesn't mean he doesn't have stuff for us. He always redesigns something beautiful in the place of it. 
He says, I pray, listen, he said, I pray that you, being rooted, this is interesting, being rooted and firmly established in love. It's a very complex statement. He says, I pray that you, he didn't say, will be. He said, I pray that you, being, that's a perfect. Perfect is something that definitively happened in the past that has present effect. So that means that us being rooted and firmly established has already happened in Jesus. <laughs> it, but we aren't walking in what he's already done. In other words, you're, you're not trying to get rooted. You're not trying to get established. You're actually trying to just align yourself with what already happened. And that's the beauty of being a believer. He wants us to be firmly planted in what? Love. And so when he talks about us being planted in love, Paul wants to point this out. He is praying that believers would be locked into God's love for us. Love is a stabilizer, but what you do when you don't know love or feel love, this is what you do, you work harder. You seek fulfillment on earth. You transport that need to others. Some of us don't know that some of us are a lot to deal with. Help me today. Because many of us are so needy that we don't realize our frustrations with people is really us making more need out of them than God appointed them to that we were supposed to get from him, but we've transported our need for what God's supposed to give to us to people that we put pressure on to get stuff out of. And so, and so, and so Paul is like, no, that's, that's not what I want to do. So what is love? Love is, uh, 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 is, is unearned commitment. That's all love means. It means that we got unearned commitment from God, right? So why is the knowing and experiencing of being loved so important? Genesis 1 through 3 lays this out for us. It's beautiful. But let me give you a few points on this. The reason why knowing and experiencing uh, being loved is so important is, is, number one, God made being loved an essential part of being a human being. God uses love as a means to communicate value. Not only that, he used it as a means to communicate purpose and significance. When God, listen, God saying to Adam, it is not good for man to be alone, is a statement of love. Of the need for human beings to be loved. So he put in us the desire to be loved, but he also gave us the means to be loved. Now, and God saying it's not good for man to be alone, he's utilizing things on earth as means for us to experience his love. What are some things that he, he created for us to experience his love in? Uh, uh, um, he, he, he uses family. He uses friendship. He uses church community, and he uses companionship. He, he uses those things. He used redeemed forms of these, though, right? <clears throat> and so that, that's what these things are created for. And that's why it's so important for us to not be hermits. Because if you buy yourself, if you lonely, if you if you functionally commit yourself to being alone all the time, you are not healthy. We weren't made to be like that. We were made to be around people and engaged. And so Paul wants us to know that. And God wants us to experience the beauty of that. But finally, if we're gonna 
walk in the beauty of God's love, we got to be in stim- we got to be stimulated by God's love. Look, look at look at number eight, uh, verse eighteen. It says, <clears throat> "Being able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, the width, the height, and depth of God's love." Now, this is oxymoronic. Why? Is oxymoronic because <clears throat> Paul uses geographical—I mean, ge- ge- uh, ge- geometry language—to define God's love. He does it on purpose <clears throat> because <clears throat> he's using these to say, "I want you to try to measure God's love." Now, if God is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent, it's impossible to measure His love. So basically, he says, I want you to pull out the tape measure over your life. And I want you to look at how crazy you are and were. And I want you to see how much you believe it took to love you. Just start start pulling the tape measure. Matter of fact, not even just God's love for you, but God's love for everybody. All of us. How much love did it? We can't love one person well. But God, he says, I want you. In other words, he's basically saying you can't measure the massivity and glory of God's love. That's what the Bible says. What can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? And somebody say, and people always say, you can lose your salvation. I say, that's impossible. They say, how's it impossible? I say, because God is the one who initiated it upon you, and it's called eternal for a reason. If it's called eternal, then it's temp- and you can lose it. It's temporal. And so they say, well, it's temporal. I say, but they say, you, you, I say, well, they say, you can walk out of God's hand. He may not take you out of his hand, but um, you can't walk out of his hand. But I said, you're assuming, first off, that God is corporeal. God is non-corporeal. But let's say in him being corporeal, meaning having a body, let's just say God has a body. That's a pretty big body. So if he has a pretty big body and you can walk out of his hand, how long would it take you to be able to walk out of his hand? You can't walk out of his hand. Because his hand is too big, you'll get exhausted trying to find your way to his fingernails. You, you, you'll, get, you'll get exhausted trying to find your way, matter of fact, to the palm of his hand. Because God's hand is so big enough, his love is expansive enough to hold all of us in the palm of his hand. I'm about to get out your way. I'm about to get out your way. And so he said, he says, he says, I, 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 he said, I want you to be able to comprehend with all the saints, with everybody together, his love. And so Paul keeps going, and Paul goes to verse 19, and he says, to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. He just told you to measure it, but then he said, you can't. Strange, right? But look at what it says. He says, he said, why do you do this? He said, why do you try to think about the extent of God's love? There's a reason for it. Why, why, so, so why do I want you to know experience? It's not just information. It's experiencing it in everyday life. So that means you have to be aware. So he said, I want you to be God aware enough to experience God's love. And guess what happens? So that purpose clause, you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the last thing I'm going to exegete. I promise you. I'm going to say bye. When he says be filled, it means to be under the control of it. In other words, he wants you to be under God. 
And listen, if love control, government God controlled us more, we would stay out of a lot of mess. We would have cussed less people out. Oh, I know y'all don't cuss no more. But y'all, I heard some shundies every now and then downtown, and you wasn't speaking in tongues either. <laughs> to be under God's control is to be under that four-letter biblical cuss word. L-O-R-D. Lord is a curse word for people that want to do their own thing. Oh, help me, God. <clears throat> but, 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 but here, for those who love, God, God, God being filled and under the control of God's love is beautiful. But not only under the control of God's love, this, this is amazing. He, he, want, he's, uh, he wants you to be uh, uh, filled with the fullness of God. What does that mean? You can't be filled literally with the fullness of God. That's impossible because God is too much of him, right? But it means to being complete and having what you need in God. That's what that means. And so that means that you're easily satisfied. And it means you need less. I'm gonna make it plain, I'm getting out your way. Um, um, I, 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 you know, after I, uh, I got through diabetes, I was using this med, I was using this med uh, that, that basically you, you, you shoot into yourself. The med not only regulates your blood sugar, but it also uh, controls how much you eat. Now, if you understand how I used to roll 30 pounds ago, up, upward that is. Um, <clears throat> when I was, I can eat you under the table. Thanksgiving, two plates piled first. That's priestly. That's pre-nap. You feel me? Take me one of them itis naps. Oh, stop! Quit acting like I'm the only one. <laughs> you you know you you know you 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 you, you get uh, see I used to start with two plates to be able to fit everything that's on the table on it. Go to sleep, wake up, give me another one. Boom, right, right. But 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 the way that because it was hard to satisfy me. It's hard to satisfy me. But this medicine, what it did is it is it constricted how much I could fit in my stomach. It didn't shrink my stomach. It just made me satisfied so that I can get the nutrients of what I needed without having too much. In other words, it made me satisfied with less. That's what the love of God does in your life. When, when, when you have the love of God in your life, it helps you to be satisfied with less. But I, I like this part, I'm closing it. I like this part right here. This is the fun part. <clears throat> because Paul <clears throat> turns from Baptist to Pentecostal. <clears throat> and what he does here is he begins to realize and enjoy God's love. And what he begins to say is now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you ask or think according to the power that's at work in you. And so he, in other words, he's saying now unto him. <laughs> you know, in, in other words, in order to say now unto him, you got to know who him is. And in knowing who him is, uh, my Bible said he was Adam's redeemer. He was Cain, Abel's vindicator. He was Moses' staff in the wilderness. He was David's harp. He was Gideon's fleece, but y'all don't know him. He was Ezekiel's wheel within a wheel. He was Isaiah's Lord exalted in the temple, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to stop there. Paul, 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 Paul said now unto him. But, but that, that wasn't what just made him shout. What made Paul shout is he was praying for other people to be secure in God's love. But I believe that as he was thinking about God's love, he thought about how God loved him. And a few years back, Paul, what name, Paul? Paul's name was Saul. Now Saul was the one that he threatened murder against Christians. He held people's coats while they stoned Stephen. Not only did he hold their coats while they stoned Stephen, but he tried to get legislation passed to kill more Christians. But what's interesting about that, when he was on his way to kill more Christians, when he was on his way to wreak havoc on Christian faith, when he was on his way to destroy some folks' lives thinking that he was doing the right thing, a light appeared before him and a voice came from the light and it said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul said, Lord, how am I persecuting you? He said, those people, they belong to me and you need to stop doing what you're doing because I want you to belong to me. Wait a minute, Jesus. Why in the world would you want somebody crazy like Paul to belong to you? What I like about the text is that while he was going after sinning, while he was going after destroying, while he was going after tearing people's lives up, God came after him. He didn't come after God. Maybe I gotta make it personal. For me, I was getting high. I was a womanizer, resisting the Holy Spirit, committing violent acts, confounding Christians in their faith, and smoking up all kinds of stuff. But in a car one day, in front of a dormitory in Bowie, Maryland, God showed up in the car and beat my high and got me out of my high and called me from spiritual death to spiritual life. I bet you if I had about 23 people in the room and I passed the mic around the room that everybody got a story of God's love for you, of God in your worst state coming after you, in your brokenness, in your destruction. He came after you and he loved you. If I still had my voice, I would say I was sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore sinking to cry no more but the master of the sea he heard my despairing cry and the song says love lifted me love lifted me with nothing with nothing with nothing else could help love lifted me all my heart to him I give ever to him I'll cling in his blessed presence live ever his praises sing love lifted me I said love lifted me when nothing else could help love lifted me every head bowed every eye closed on a Friday 2,000 years ago Jesus Christ did in six hours 
what it would have taken. An eternity in hell for us to do. And he was, he died and he was buried. And he got up early Sunday morning with all power in his hand. Maybe you're here today. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.